Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Anyway, um, I suppose it's Happy New Year. We are recording this here on the 10th of um, January, so maybe we're a little bit late on it. I just didn't feel like doing no podcast last week, but here we are. Hope you're Christmas and all of those things like that. We're hitting in the ways that you wanted them to be hitting. Um, yo, New Year's was so cold here. So cold. And let me tell you something about it. Uh, well, okay, I feel like I was skipping a bunch of steps before I got there. Anyway, it's hanging out with my brother. My brother has some friends in town. We had a friend in town, and the friend had friends. And anyway, uh, the friend, his aunt was in town. And I don't know how old she was because she looked to be very young, but I'm assuming based on the ages of all the people involved here that she was probably in her 60s. Anyway, um, she was really considering going out there at Times Square for the ball drop. And for her, it's just a bucket list sort of thing to be there when the ball drops for New Year's Eve. I personally have never watched on the television and seen the people out there at Times Square for New Year's Eve and thought to myself, damn, I got to do that before I die. It just hasn't come up. It hasn't come up once. It, it, it like That just doesn't. I've never quite gauged what the thing is. You really ain't got enough say so on what the music is that's going to be played. You know, it just ain't never really been my bag, right? But she wanted to do it. That was her thing. Man, it couldn't have been no more than like eight degrees outside at the time when she said it. And when she said it, it was like the daylight. And so, you know, me and my brother are kind of in this difficult situation where you don't want to be the party pooper that's explaining to somebody that their lifetime dream doesn't sound like a great idea. But I'm like, lady, have you been outside? Do you feel the temperature? Like, you really want to be out there all night? Or however long you got to be there? Which then led to uh, I, I, things I did not realize about this ball dropping. Like, for example, people be out there like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Because that's what you got to do to get a spot, right? The spot you want, that's when you got to be out there. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then once you got your spot, you got to be on your spot. There ain't really no coming off your spot. The other thing, if you have not been to Times Square, you don't live here, you don't, like, really understand is that that's a hot spot for the counter-terrorist folks. Like, they they, they assuming that if, if somebody's going to blow something up in New York City, that's at the top of this place, they're going to blow something up. So you got to deal with all kinds of security and all this stuff. But think about this for a second. If you got to get on your spot and you can't leave your spot, you know what it means when you can't leave your spot? It means you can't leave your spot. So you are thinking to yourself, but what if I need to leave my spot for insert whatever activity here? What I just tell you, you can't leave your spot. So go through the list of things that you might want to do after you get to your spot. Let me see how long it takes one of y'all to come to the big one. The one thing that you might want to do after you get to your spot, perhaps want is not the way to put it. The thing that you're going to need to do once you get to your spot. That's right. Somebody just dropped it in there. Go to the bathroom. Actually, you guys in the chat room did not say go to the chat room. One of you said pee and the other said boo-boo. Um, I would have just taken the general go to the bathroom. Anyway, you cannot go to the bathroom. Did y'all realize there's people out there wearing, like, Depends diapers? Yeah, man. Depends diapers. By the way, all y'all who came, like, immediately with the uh, take a dump, drop a deuce, as a thing there. Um, I don't know about you. I understand that you might wind up in a situation where your body requires that, but that's a whole lot of public to be out here uh, going for number two. Anyway, yeah, man, once you're on that spot, so yeah, people talk about how they wear, like, diapers 
in the space. Diapers, bro. And so they get like the depends diapers. But see, I don't, I ain't really know like engineer on this and a scientist. I ain't got so much information really on this, but I don't feel like the grown up diapers are built in the same way that the kitty diapers are built. And when I say that, I mean that to say, I don't feel like the grown up diapers are meant for you to just be, you know, filling them up and then posting up for another six or seven hours. That's, that's, that's not, that's, that's, that's not what they are equipped for. And from what I can tell, baby diapers are for baby doo doo and grown up doo doo has a different composition than baby doo doo. And are you really trying to walk around with like grown up doo doo in your pants? Like, like, oh, no, 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 no. All of this. And I'm just curious because that's, I mean, there's got to be some of you out here that really want to do this because they fill up a spot every time. So what I'm asking is, what the hell is it about Times Square that would make you want to put up, a, put on a grown-up diaper and be out there boo-booing on yourself? Anybody? Anybody at all? Who the hell out there this year? Mariah Carey? It's 2017. Well, it was. Mariah Carey? You think I'm about to go out there and boo-boo on myself for that? Yeah. Help me help you. And. That is before we get to the part where it was like four degrees. I think they said that it was the coldest New Year's Eve since somewhere in the early 1960s. Right. The early 1960s. It was the coldest New Year's than it had been. And pretty much every New Year's I ever seen on TV, that's what it looked like. Every single one. Yeah, man. No, no, not doing that. Now, I'm going to use that into a bit of a segue of sorts, because as we discuss this thing about the cold, we have talked about this a few times on this podcast. The many of you hating motherfuckers out there is wishing the worst upon me. You guys remember when I lived in Miami and I would send you pictures from my balcony during the cold winter months in the places where you lived. And again, I thought that since you guys got to talk about what the weather was like, where you lived, I was under the impression that I also got to talk about what the weather was like when I lived, when I totally misunderstood. It was all about you, and it was nothing about me. Right? Like, that, there was no room for me to exist. There was no room for me to live. That wasn't one of those things. No, this was just all about y'all, and nobody cared what I was dealing with. Nobody cared what I was going through. Nobody even cared what I was enjoying because all y'all were were a bunch of self-pitying motherfuckers and all we were supposed to do was to wallow with y'all in your self-pity. So therefore, you guys expect me to be a self-pitying type up here now that I'm up north. And I'm not. I'm not built like that. I'm harder than that. Stronger than that. Tougher than that. More gangster than you. And here's how you know how gangster I am. I'm so gangster. That as of right now, the temperature in New York City is 37 degrees. There was a high temperature today of 39 degrees here in New York City. 39 degrees. I had no idea 39 degrees could feel so good. I really did not. Man, after about the week and a half that we had of that unrelenting cold, that 39 came around. I'm like, damn, it feels good out here. 
Like, I figured it probably took, like, some measure of years of you living in one of these cold-weather places before stuff started happening, like, 40 degrees. And you was like, oh, snap, look at that girl with the Duke's on. No, no, no. It did not even take me a full winter. In theory, winter here hadn't even been cracking for a month. Was it 21st of December was the rollover time? Yo, man, it was out there feeling so good today. Like, I went out to meet somebody for lunch today. Bruh, it was feeling so good and the sun was out. Now you gotta understand something about what this cold was. Like in the, like a couple weeks ago, we poor whatever it was, man. It was so cold up here that I swear that it was humbling the sun. That's right. It was humbling the sun. What do I mean when I say it was humbling the sun? I mean that it was literally like five degrees outside and sunny. And sunny. And I'm trying to figure out what's the fucking point of the sun if the sun can't get you above no five degrees. Like, why are you even here? Why are you out here? Are you doing anything right now? Are you on vacation? Are you taking a break? Like, riddle me that, homie. Explain to me how it is that you out here just for everybody to see and providing absolutely nothing. Now, I can make the argument an illumination, right? Because the sun itself, just the ability to see it makes things feel a little bit better. Okay. Maybe there's something to that. But sun's supposed to be hot. We agree there, right? Sun's supposed to be hot. So I just felt like the sun was just there. Like, I felt like the sun was out and it was so cold outside. Like, it was the equivalent of what if you look, if you was getting robbed and you looked over and the cops just leaning up on a lamppost you know, eating popcorn. That's what I felt like the sun was doing. And some dude in the chat room talking about plants still need the sun. We ain't talking about no plants, Mojam. Whatever that means. Solar panels. Let's get him up out of here. Anyway, um, yeah. Like, even the sun, look at what them circumstances are. And it's like, yo, man, I can't really do nothing for you, bro. And I feel like that's something that you should keep in mind sometime. If the sun could be staring at the world and it still be five degrees, sometimes your best just ain't good enough. And you got to make peace with that. And I guess that's what the sun does all the time, man. Sun just make peace with that fact. Sun just like, yeah, man, ain't nothing I can do to help you. I would love, I would try. I can't do nothing for you, though, bro. Anyway, today I got up to 39. Listen to this, man. It's going to be 50 tomorrow. It's supposed to rain on Friday, but they talking about 58, 58, bruh, 58. I might wear a T-shirt. I know, right? I'm turning into a white man before your very eyes. It'll be a party. Anyway, it feels like a good time. To move on to your questions. I tell you guys, questions right now are pretty substandard. That does not mean ask more questions, Michael Morris. You've done your part. 
why are people so sensitive when you mention how talented you are? Now, let me give you guys a little bit of background on how we got to a point of talking about how talented I was, because I just don't want you to think I just woke up and was like, you know what I think the topic is that I want to share with the world on Twitter today? How dope I am. Like, that doesn't really happen. It's not really an activity I'm, like, so inclined toward. But there's some uh, Time Magazine had put up this link, and they were talking about how um, – Basically, scientists have concluded that the humble brag actually goes over worse with people than the brag brag. Yeah, that people actually dislike it more when you humble brag than when you actually brag. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was interesting. I mean, it kind of led to just a different discussion of like the way that people respond to what your talent is and everything else and all right so this is a society that we live in that places a high value on what some deem to be humility i find that very often the people who deem themselves to be so humble aren't actually that humble about the fact that they consider themselves to be humble Right now, I am an interesting person to discuss these sorts of things with because I kick with people like Michael Felder who think that humble is overrated. I remember my brother saying something once at one point where he was like, yo, I don't know how you expect me to be so humble when I'm this dope. And I mean, for what it's worth, there is something to that. Now, this led to me having a bit of a discussion just about the way that people respond to confidence and whatever your belief in yourself might happen to be. Um, and I wonder this about other folks. You guys let me know. Cause I don't really like exist in this space in this way. Like how much time do you spend measuring yourself up against other people? Like serious question. Like, like how much time do you like, I don't spend much time at all, like meeting people and immediately thinking about whether I am as smart as them or as good looking as them or as rich as them, like whatever it happens to be. Um, I'm not that person, but I also do find it to be somewhat interesting, like the rules that we place on the ways and not just that people are supposed to talk about themselves, but also in the ways that people are supposed to feel about themselves. Like externally, people make all kinds of decisions all the time about what they believe or how they believe whether or not somebody is allowed to feel a certain way about themselves, which I find to be odd. Like, I think you get to be as wrong as you want to be in the discussion about being how dope you think that you are. I personally enjoy people who have a certain level of outsized confidence. Like, I talk about this all the time. One of my best friends, I talk to him about how annoyed I get at, you know, the things that, Basically stuff that comes with being recognizable that most of y'all don't really care about, but whatever. And I talked to him about that. And he'd be like, bro, I know exactly what you mean, man. Back in 2000, 2001, when I used to be the man at the Bounce, Bounce's Club in Atlanta. And he basically, I mean, he's putting the same thing to him. What I kind of deal with or what annoys me from time to time that comes to being on television. He sees it's the exact same as when he was like John Travolta at this spot. Like he sees the same way and I love him for it because to him, the star in the room is him. Ain't no room. You're going to drop him off in. Ain't nobody else that's going to be there where he's not the star. And I love him for that. Like I think like legitimately, like it's not one of those like, oh no, I kind of, you know, well, I guess that's kind of cool. Now, nah, man, I rock with him for that very reason. I like people who are like that. Now, the problem I think that often comes up is if you feel 
whatever this thing happens to be that you're entitled to be treated a certain way or that people are supposed to behave a certain way around you. And yeah, then that that there, I do agree, becomes a bit problematic. Um, so this is interesting. Like one guy I talked about it on Twitter and I said this. He said, I wasn't wrong. He says, but I think it would come across better if you worded something like I work hard and do really good work. Less of a I was born better vibe. And see, that is your weakness speaking when you say something like this. So for me, for example, I like I said this and I don't feel bad about it. The biggest reason why I am in the place where I'm in professionally and do the work that I do professionally is that I do good work. That's the biggest reason. Biggest reason I do good work is because I'm really talented. Now, me saying that I am really talented does not mean that I believe that somehow I was, quote unquote, born better than you. Now, was I born more talented than you? That is entirely possible. Bordering on likely, right? But the thing is, you can't claim no credit for natural talent. If you don't believe me, ask my parents. My father will tell you very quickly that there ain't so much credit that his children can claim for his genes. And he's right about that. And I never think of anybody because they are being very talented as being, quote unquote, better than me. Like, that's just not the way that I see it. But I do believe that a lot of people internalize it and feel as though if you're somebody is like better at stuff than them, then that means by definition that those people are better than them. And that's like, no, that's not what it is. But I am more talented than a whole lot of people. And it's important to have an acknowledgement that you're more talented than a whole lot of people when you are. Why is it important to have that acknowledgement? You got to have that acknowledgement because otherwise you're going to be sitting around holding people to a standard that is unfair for them to live up to. It's not. So let me ask you a question. Like whoever you are, you happen to be listening to this. Do you think it's fair to expect like some average person that you pull off the street to be as smart as I am? Right. You just ask that in your head. You ain't got to put it in the chat room or anything else. Now, if you don't think it's fair to expect other people to be as smart as me, why the hell should I expect people to be as smart as me? But if I'm walking around acting like we all the same, then my only baseline for what we all are is myself, which means that my expectation level would be for you to kick it like I kick it. And that is not fair to expect of most people. It's just not. But people really, really internalize that and believe that that's a statement that you believe that person, whoever it is, happens to be better. No, nah, this might be better at something than you are. And so this cat was like, well, maybe it would be better if you've worded it as I work so hard. I mean, I have worked hard at various points, but I ain't work hard all the damn time. That would be a lie. All right. Like that would be a flat out lie if I were to say that a significant portion of the time. But the reality is that. No, no matter what, whether you say it or you don't, if somebody else's insecurities are triggered by your level of talent, there is nothing that you are ever going to be able to do to make them feel better about it. They're not. The best that you can do is make people feel good about the proximity that they have to your talent or show some kind of benefit that they managed to get from your talent. But you ain't never going to make them feel good about it. And so what happens very often is people try to push it off and be like, oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's not that. Man, people get mad as hell about that, too. Like, seriously, like people like this is just what it is, because what they get mad at ain't really got that much to do with the person who happens to be on the other side. What they get mad at has to do with what is within them. 
Now, all that being said, yes, it gets exhausting listening to people talk to you about how dope they are all the time. And it's typically coming from people who do not believe themselves to actually be dope. And I don't blame anybody that that ain't the number one topic of conversation that they want to have, man. What y'all over here talking about? Me? Nah, that does get old, right? Like, like, I don't think there's any question about that or any dispute. That gets old really, really, really quickly. But if people are threatened by who or what you are, there is very, 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 very little that you can do to make that work. But I would suggest to those of you out there who are listening and may operate on the not-so-confident side of these things, you got to stop looking at it as somebody being better at stuff as being better than you. Like, that's your fault. That's your call. That's your decision to make. And it does not at all have to be that way. It doesn't. But I can't get the most out of what I got to work with if I'm out here acting like I'm like everybody else. I can't. That's what I said on Twitter today, man. Um, If you got a Ferrari, you act like it's a Buick. What's the point? That really was the point. You might as well get a Buick. You might as well be a Buick. And I ain't no goddamn Buick. I'm not. Maybe you are. It's a fine automobile. It gets you from point A to point B. It does. My engine make noise, though. Loud, sexy noise. Maybe you just need to put a new engine in that Buick. It can make loud, sexy noises, too. Who's to say? But anyway, yeah. I mean, all this stuff... Generally, there's very many human interactions are like this. They got as much, if not more, to do with how people feel about themselves than they have to do with how people feel about anybody else. That's the game. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. By the way, I feel like the crowdcast people need to find a way to make the question that you answer go all the way to the top. So I ain't always got to go find this and then come back. Anyway, that's just me complaining. Uh, somebody asked in here, when does the TV show start? In a couple months. That's all I got for you. Sorry. Bo, now that we've had a few days, what's your perspective on the whole Oprah 2020 business? You guys may have seen this. Oprah gave a rousing address at the Golden Globe Awards, and that then made people say that Oprah should run for president. Because, my God, that's all it takes. A stirring speech, and people will think that you should be the president of the United States. Now, I do think a lot of people have, like, this is like, to them, this is a statement of, like, celebrity culture run amok. Um the idea that you find a famous person and they give a dope speech and all of a sudden you want them to be president. It is and it is not celebrity culture run amok. Part of it is all it really takes to make somebody think that you should be the president of the United States is to give speeches because part of being president that most people see is giving speeches. Um, that being said, I do think that we need to keep something in mind when we come to a discussion like the idea of what quote unquote qualifies somebody to be president. So if we take this back to the year 2008, Hillary Clinton running against Barack Obama, the biggest point that Hillary would make to counter the idea of Obama being president was her experience or qualification. And she had this um, spectacular resume and all these things that she had pointed to that she had done to demonstrate that she could do the job well. I ask you this on the real. 
how many people have been elected president on the basis of experience? Serious question. Like, how many people have been elected on the basis of experience? Like, how many times has anybody put in a vote and been like, I mean, that guy does have a whole lot of experience. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Anybody elect Ronald Reagan because he had all this damn experience? They didn't like Bill Clinton because he had all this experience. And somebody in there said Reagan was an actor. Reagan had been a, at that point, Reagan was a career politician. But no, no, no. That's what Hillary had to sell. Like Hillary is running against this incredibly charismatic dude. And what she had to sell was her experience. That was it. But let's not get lost or confused into thinking that experience has been the thing to get anybody elected president. John F. Kennedy was, what, 42 years old when he was elected president? And make sure I got that right. Cause I think he was like 42 years old. He, yeah. He was 42, 43, sorry, 43 when he was elected president. 43. How much experience is possible for him to put together at age 43? It wasn't there. Like that's not how, that's not how this typically works. It's not the way that this goes. So I don't look at like, I, I've talked about Oprah in this context as being like, what in the world would qualify Oprah to be the president of the United States? Um, at once the qualification argument is overrated. On the other hand, the qualification argument is overrated among people who, you know, work in this world. That's where it's overrated, but we typically have operated at least from a baseline of, well, this person does politics, this person does government, or whatever it is. Oprah ain't doing that. What what about watching Oprah's TV show just made you be like, yeah, man, she looked like the president. Are you kidding me? Like, Oprah Winfrey has worked on television for all this time. Oprah Winfrey is a very good actress. All of these things. Really, a good actress gave a good speech. I, for one, am shocked. Totally floored. Like, if Meryl Streep had got out there and given some bomb speech, y'all trying to elect her too? Like, what is this? It's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. And it would be different if, like, I thought that people were doing it and it was just like, ah, oh, that would be, oh, wow, Oprah's president, really cool. No, nah, man, we had days of people being like, yeah, sources close to Oprah say that she was seriously considered being the president. You got a billion dollars. How stupid are you if you want to be the president of the United States? You want to find out how much it stinks to be the president of the United States? Go ask the person who's doing it now. Ask him how much he enjoys being the president of the United States. Like, ask him how good it is to be a billion, well, you know, whatever. Anyway, ask him how much he enjoys being the president of the United States. Like, Chappelle talked about this in this special, and I think we might talk about the Chappelle, Chappelle special a little bit later if I feel like it, um, where he's like, look, Trump was already, like, boo-booing in a gold toilet. The White House is a step down for him. And he's like, yo, what's up with this? That's the same thing with Oprah. That's the same exact thing with Oprah. Over getting to the White House, being like, oh, wow, I guess I'll have to do my public service by living in these mediocre environs. For what? For who? For what? Like, if you're actually doing a job like you're supposed to, all that reading and stuff that you got to do, ain't none of them decisions fun. There ain't no way that you ever actually get anything in a way that is, like, correct. Ain't how nobody sees things. Ain't no correct. All you do is make people mad. That's it. 
But no, people were like legitimately with this. I think Oprah would be good at being a good president. Why? Like, what do you think makes somebody a good president? Like, that's sincerely what I want to know here. What in the world make you think somebody a good president if you think that Oprah could be the president? And I say that because if you think that Oprah could make a good president, why the hell did it take you till 2018 to figure that out? You could have had Oprah out there running in 1992 if that's what you thought. Like, what was you waiting on? Like, what, 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 what did she do to make you all of a sudden say, you know what, I think Oprah finally got it and she could be the president? What are you talking about? What do you mean? Why didn't you, why didn't you ask her to run against Bush? If that's what you was thinking. What is it? But see, there's another thing about this, and I want you to think about it, right? We talk, I've talked about this, just the idea of, like, a dope speech will make somebody think you're supposed to be the president. Like, a big part of this is inspiring people. It is a huge part of it. It is the ability to inspire people. All right. With that in mind, I think that uh, Franklin Roosevelt demonstrated an ability to be inspiring in one way or another. Okay, cool. Eisenhower, I think you could probably say the same thing about that if for no other reason than, you know, one World War II. It's pretty big. That's a pretty big joker to be able to throw down on the table. All right. Kennedy had the same quality since then. All right. Would you deem Lyndon Johnson as an inspirational figure? I would not deem Lyndon Johnson as an inspirational figure. Would anybody deem Richard Nixon to be an inspirational figure? I don't think anybody would deem Richard Nixon to be an inspirational figure. Gerald Ford. I mean, ain't nobody elect him, but still, no. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter is a phenomenal man who does phenomenal things for the world. Inspirational figure in that way? Not really. Ronald Reagan. Might not have been that inspiring to you, but yeah, he had it in him. Like the, the rhetoric and everything he offered, yeah, there was an inspirational quality to what he was selling. Bush, no. Clinton, yes. Bush, no. Obama, yes. Trump, what he is, right? Anyway, I say all that to say, in the last 50-something years... They've trotted out three legitimately inspiring candidates. Like pretty much three. I'm trying to think of some of the others that like fell off on the wayside on the way there that you might have been able to say had some sort of inspiring quality to him, right? Like maybe you could say Teddy Kennedy, but he ran in 1980, but he, pr- he primarily the incumbent. That's a little bit different, and he'd already had that thing with the chap quitting. Jesse Jackson in 84 and 88, maybe you could wind up saying something similar about him. But how is it? There have been so few legitimately inspiring figures in national American politics over the last nearly 60 years. Like, how have there been so few? And the part that makes that really stand out is how easily somebody like Oprah Winfrey can get up and give a speech. And people be like, damn, that sounds like the president. Like, I just don't get this. Like, is it the people that are capable of inspiring people in that way or just, like, operating in different worlds? Are they doing different work? Like, I don't know where they are, but it does feel like there should be more people that kind of get your heart jumping that live in the world where the biggest thing that you need to be able to do to get it cracking is get people's hearts jumping. Nah, I hadn't thought about it like that, had you? Appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. 
Somebody here, New York, New Year's Eve highlights that you don't mind sharing, of course. Quit being nosy. I know somebody here says, Was it be, would it be as absurd if Oprah runs for president than it was when Trump did? So I, found, so I said on Twitter, I was like, look, man, if you believe that the standard, like, if you believe that Donald Trump is beneath the standard of being the president, then that doesn't mean that you keep the standard low and talk about voting for Oprah. And so a whole lot of people's response was, well, you think Oprah's low in the standard. What do you think about Trump? Yo, you're missing the point. You are absolutely missing the point. Just because they elected somebody that you don't think should be the president does not mean that you sneak somebody else in because the standard is now lower. Like Trump, we can write it off as an outlier or some sort of anomaly if you feel like he's the type that should not be the president. Once you're just out here like we can bring anybody in here, then you are actually lowering the standard. Like I think you can make an argument that Trump snuck in. If you're using Trump as the basis for the next person, that's actually lowering the standard. And that's stupid. Like, that's really, really, really stupid. And all kinds of people coming back. So what do you think? Oprah, what do you think? Oprah less qualified than Trump? I don't know if she's less qualified than Trump, but the only thing that makes me say that I think that she's more qualified than Trump is I think she probably reads a little bit more. But she ain't qualified neither. So your argument, well, let's just rock with this dude. We got this one dude who ain't qualified. Let's get us our own that ain't qualified. For who? For what? What are you talking about, dumbass? That doesn't make any sense. Also, by the way, holy all of y'all that love Oprah. I ain't so sure Oprah love y'all the same way. Y'all might get y'all feelings hurt when you hear some of the things that Oprah actually feel about you and yours. Right. Anyway, appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. Oh, well, might as well stay on this. Somebody says, how quickly do you think Oprah would go from being universally loved to hated by 40% of the population if she ran for office? That's a good question. I don't have the most like best answer for that, but I will make this point. And don't ever forget this. Oprah smoked rocks once. I think it was once. But she did say on her show one time back in the day that she had smoked a rock before. Now, Obama showed us that if president like snorted some blow, we might let that slide. I don't know about that with smoking rocks. I don't. Yeah, and I know somebody out here talking that Marion Barry. Whatever. That's fine. Y'all ain't trying to make Marion Barry no president neither. Not even the people that would make him the mayor would make him the president. Oprah smoked a rock. Like somebody have a moment of weakness where they smoke a rock. I mean, nah, 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 nah. Just don't. And somebody said, Are you calling Oprah a crackhead? No, fool. I'm saying that Oprah smoked a rock once at least once i can only say at least i don't know oprah by the way somebody in the chat room will inform melissa barksdale about like the radio show and stuff like that i feel like she got all the questions i don't feel like answering right now that i have answered that you guys have answered so 
Appreciate the question. All right. Why are people acting like Chappelle's comedy is so problematic now all of a sudden? All right. So if you did not know, Dave Chappelle put a couple of new specials out on the Netflix. Uh, Equanimity, I think, is the name of one of them. The other one is The Bird Revelation. I have watched them both. Um, I was actually talking to somebody today at lunch about the Chappelle specials, and she was explaining to me that, you know, she just did not feel like his comedy landed now like it did um, back in the day. Now, it should be noted that the person I was talking to is 31 years old. So I wonder how well, like, processing that comedy at 16 versus now. Like, I don't have a great answer for how that goes. But anyway, um, I thought that equanimity landed i thought it landed over and over and over again like somebody i'm not a comedian but i talk for a living i communicate for a living and the setups on all that stuff was just amazing right like a whole bunch of it was just amazing like it really was just watching somebody kind of just like i'm so good at this let me show you all the various ways that i am so amazing at this and i thought that that was brilliant i've seen dave live three times in the last four or five years um, I watched both the previous Netflix specials, though I fell asleep at various points in the ones before because life was beating me up at the time. This was as good as I've seen him. Now, much of this routine that he did in Equanimity, I saw when I saw him live last March. And I was like, oh, OK, he's back. He's back. He's back. Now, most of the discussion that I've seen, though, about the special has not been about how good it was or was not. It has been about the appropriateness of the jokes that he taught, told about um, trans people. Now, I think there's a macro level discussion to be had about whether or not there is a space for inappropriate humor, right? Like whether or not the think piece generation is going to ruin comedy um, because stand-up comedy has typically not been expected to withstand the standards by which the think piece world operates. And I don't think it's going to ruin stand-up comedy because in the end, the comedy that the think pieces want is never going to do very well. Therefore, this other comedy is going to be the one that wins out. Like, there's that. Um, my good buddy Michael Arsenault wrote a column about this where he said he felt like after watching Equanimity that maybe the problem is Dave doesn't have anything very interesting to say. And I think that is preposterous. <laughs> like, I don't see how you can listen to all the stuff that he was talking about with Trump and everything else and then tell me that Dave ain't got nothing interesting left to say. That's wild. What Dave does, however, still have is a great deal of sophomoric humor. And it has been sophomoric humor from the very beginning. It was sophomoric humor in doses on Chappelle's show, like interspersed with genius. Uh, it was sophomoric humor in the special in San Francisco. Like there's always been a measure of sophomoric humor that has been there. The question is, if somebody tells a joke that you find to be offensive or whatever it is, does that then eliminate everything else from having any usefulness? I don't believe that that's the case. I think a lot of people do. And I think part of it is the folks on this will insert person here is canceled because they do one thing that you don't like. Which is the dumbest shit in the world. Now, I admit that I think that that notion of canceling is dumb, partially informed by the fact that I'm now a person that people will think that they will cancel because they will be so disappointed by some one thing that I've said. And then suddenly they'll be done with me forever because of their almighty sitting at their house. You're canceled. What the fuck are you? You know what I mean? Like, really, when you stop to think about that, all y'all that's in here that be on this, well, that person is canceled because da-da-da. Do you realize how stupid that is? 
typically on the basis of one thing they say that you don't agree with. Like, you might have the self-righteousness that has to be at play for you to be like, oh, I'm done with this one person. Why? They told a joke I didn't like. Like, what? Like, yeah, and I can see that there's some things that go, like, way too far, and you just decide that you can't rock with somebody that has those same sensibilities. But y'all standard on canceling people is not very high. It's just not. It isn't, right? So anyway, that brings us to Dave and the stuff about trans folk. I don't want to get line for line on everything. I just don't feel like the stress. Um, if you don't think the stuff was funny, you don't. Were some of the elements of it funny? I thought so, right? Were the things that I found to be funny appropriate? Nah, not necessarily. But what are you there for? Right? And I think that's a a fair question for you to ask yourself. Like, if that's the standard for you on dealing with comedy, that if somebody says something you find offensive, you don't want to rock with them no more, then bless your heart. That's your right if that's what you want to do. You know, if that's the way that you want to see it. I got you. I'm not there with you, and I do generally believe as long as it's funny, we'll rock it out. That being said, it is very easy for me, straight man, to say that I found those things funny, and that's good enough for me. Because the one thing I realized in watching him talk about trans folks is I just kind of had an epiphany in the middle of it, and this is the truth. Look, man. When do they get to laugh at us? Like the notion of laughing and joning on people involves a certain measure of reciprocity. When the reciprocity is no longer present, that's when it starts to feel like bullying. And the thing about joking about trans folks at this point in time is there's really no way for you to do it in a public space that doesn't feel like bullying. Because where is the public space where they get to clap back? You know, like where do they get, you know. You know, the thing I hate about people whose gender identity matches up with their body parts. When when and where do they get to do that? They don't. Hell yeah, I get it why they think like it gets old getting joned on all the time. And you ain't never in no circumstance or situation where you get to joan back. White folks laugh at black people. Black people get up and laugh at white people. Okay, there's a certain reciprocity at play. Now, the problem also is that when white people joke on black people, the basis of it typically is coming from such a negative place, and that negative place guides things that matter way more than jokes. And then, boom, there we have a problem. It's a similar thing to be said about Dave and the jokes that he's got about the trans folks, right? Like, yeah, it can be funny, but funny isn't simply funny when it is the majority kind of imposing itself upon this portion of a minority. You see what I'm saying? Like... I, if you are those people, I see why it is that you don't want to hear it. I see why it is that you find it to be problematic. I do. I'm just kind of accustomed to stand up comedy, like being problematic. Like I thought something, there's something to consider also about Dave while he's telling the jokes about the trans folks. He says bitch like 15 times and ain't nobody complaining about that. You telling me that's not problematic. It is. We've just decided that's a problematic thing that we're going to ride with. But it's absolutely problematic. There's no way around the fact that it's problematic. Also, with Dave, and this, again, is where I think it gets to be interesting, because I don't know how much of this with Dave is people, like, really being into Dave's work or people being into that show, which, of course, had its problematic moments. That special in San Francisco, 
which had maybe the most intellectually brilliant stand-up bit that I've ever seen, which is how old really is 15. In the how old really is 15 routine, he says that the girl who let R. Kelly pee on her, if she didn't want to get peed on, could have gotten out of the way. Are you telling me that that is not problematic? Now, that problematic notion was weaved into a bunch of other stuff that I do think in the end gave us a brilliant point. I don't think the stuff that Dave was talking about in equanimity as related to trans folks had any brilliance to it in the end. There were a couple of pretty good jokes, but there was no real brilliant, like overarching macro level point. I think, well, I think the point that he tried to make was that he felt as though the notion of being transgender, and this is short of brilliant, but I do think there's something to it. He's like, the notion of being transgender is given a level of acceptance because white men, there are white men in this space, and therefore whatever white men say has to be acknowledged. Now, of course, I think there are people who are like, well, that erases a bunch of black trans figures who, you know, like I get where they're coming from. But the white folks that are acknowledging transgender in a way that you may think is a bit surprising are not doing that because of the black people who blaze no trail. That's not how that's not how the pioneering spirit works. It's not the way that it goes. And that was something I had never thought about that I don't think can be like instantly dismissed. So I'm certainly willing to listen to somebody to tell me why that is wrong. Um, So, like, I think there's something to that. But it's a question I think often with comedy is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Is the way that you go about it, is that is, is it worth the laughs that you ultimately get? And I think it is fair to turn a mirror at Dave and to say, if you stop doing your television show because you were uncomfortable with the way that somebody laughed at your jokes and you felt like they weren't laughing at the right thing, can you then turn that same mirror around? to the jokes that you did about trans people and realize that maybe just maybe the people that are laughing with you are not the people that you want to laugh with you. I think all of those things are fair within it. However, man, there's only but so much think piecing that I personally am willing to do on a comedy routine. Either I like it or I don't like it. But that is not so much a space where I'm going to do that. But this is a different time. It's 2018, man. This is the way that people consume these things on Twitter. On Twitter. My good buddy, Ethan Strauss, um, was on Twitter making this point the other day. I thought it was really interesting. Let me see if I can pull this up right fast. But he's saying... There is a disconnect between the way a lot of this media is received by the general public and the ways that people receive these things in the space of Twitter. So he pulled this up and I'm looking at make sure I get this right. Um, Right. So he says, uh, he put on Rotten Tomatoes. He said the tomato meter, which is the critics. Gave equanimity in the bird revelation 57%. You know what the audience score was? 89%. You see what I mean? So, like, it's a fair question to be asked about how much in this circle of people where they pass around think pieces, like, how representative is that of the larger 
viewing public. It's a fair question. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that is there within it. But, no, nah, I'm not think piece in that one to death. Now, is it possible I'm not think piece in that one to death because I am a huge fan? Possible. Entirely possible. Like, am I biased, perhaps, and unable to grasp the magnitude of some of these things? Possible. Totally possible. Like, it can happen. But I can acknowledge the parts that I thought were problematic. And I do feel like there's a certain level of analysis that I'm able to do to look at and have an empathy for the people who are personally offended by um, what the routine is. And I do think that there's room to point out that which is problematic. And I think it is to a degree necessary to point out that which is problematic. Because what is problematic is often the mainstream view, and there needs to be a reassessment of all of those things. I can just do without the self-righteousness, man. I can do without the self-righteousness, and I can do without the dishonesty. And the part that I feel is the dishonesty when it comes to this is the inability to acknowledge, especially in that space, that people are probably going to say some messed up stuff from time to time and then act like, as a result, it is not good. Those are two different things. Like, you go back and watch, like, old Amos and Andy stuff. Like, even my dad has said this. Like, yo, man, some of that stuff was funny. Right? NWA, that's problematic as hell. It doesn't stop me from saying that it's dope. And niggas for life is worse than anything you'll see on the Chappelle routine. But I could cop like that was one thing about this too. I had these people talking about, you know, talking about how problematic the Chappelle thing was and how he's canceled and everything else. And then the 25th, like right around the time, the 25th anniversary of the chronic had come around, and everybody's like, yo, that's my jam. What? Like, at least have some level of acknowledgement. I think a lot of people need to do this. At least have some level of acknowledgement. You out here making it, you out here making exceptions. You out here grandfathering things in. You out here making excuses on some stuff. A whole bunch of us are. That's what it is. And that's why the self-righteousness bothers me. Is very few people are upholding this across the board standard on the media they consume. Very few are. And we all get to decide where it is that we're going to draw the line. Like R. Kelly is a line that I draw. Now, maybe it's an easy line for me to draw on R. Kelly because I was never the biggest R. Kelly fan in the first place. But R. Kelly is an easy line for me to draw because, like, you singing about the stuff that makes you a problem. And your songs are about this. Yeah, no, I don't. No, I'm good. Like, I don't need to do that. No, thanks. Nah, right? But there's people who have decided that's not the line they're going to draw on R. Kelly. They made that call. I can't judge him for so much. Why can't I judge him for so much? I can't judge him for so much because I read a story in Rolling Stone that was about James Brown. I think it was one of James Brown's kids was talking about walking in the bedroom one day, and James Brown was on top of of her mother beating the hell out of her with closed fists. And I read that, and I stopped and thought to myself, damn, man. I wonder what James Brown would have to do for me to stop listening to James Brown's music. Cause I just read a story about James Brown beating this woman with closed fists in front of their child. And this ain't the line. Like this ain't it for whatever reason. Y'all know miles Davis, horrible business. That ain't the line for a lot of people. 
Like there just aren't that many people that are existing in a place where they don't have anybody that they've made some level of excuse for, for whatever reason. So I find the self-righteousness to be disingenuous. That's it. That's it. But if you're like, yo, that joke Dave told about transgender folks is wrong. I'm not mad at you for saying that, right? If that's the line that you draw, I'm not really that mad at you for saying that because we all get to draw the line at some place that we want to draw it. Just be careful in the way that you do it because then it starts to ring hollow, real, real hollow. Like Marvin Gaye, somebody says to mention Marvin Gaye is a body shamer. Yeah, Marvin Gaye was a body shamer. Marvin Gaye was also like dealing with a 16-year-old girl, right? How many of y'all canceling Marvin Gaye? How many of you are actually doing it? Like those of y'all who love Marvin Gaye. And by the way, most of y'all who love Marvin Gaye knew that shit. Been known that. Before any of this happened, you knew that. You about to cancel him? Probably not. Because for whatever reason, that's your line. That's your excuse. That's one that you grandfathering in. That's one. And if you draw the line there, I get it. And if you don't, I get that too. Just be careful on how you throw this stuff around like you somehow better than somebody else on the basis of your super duper morality or your new quote unquote wokeness. That's where it is. But I did not think this I will say as we get to the rap. Even the problematic stuff from equanimity. I did not think that it was problematic in a way that that should dominate the discussion after the special. I did not. Like, it wasn't like you went on for 20 minutes about that stuff. I did not think that it was on that level. But again, it's not my line, right? If it's your line, I can say I would seem that way. But I did not think that. I didn't. But seeing how many people put that absolutely at the forefront, and it was like, oh, man, he just doesn't get the times and da-da-da and everything else, that to me is performative. And this notion of performative wokeness, yeah. No thanks, guys. No thanks. But all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this every week. I ain't making no promises. But I'm going to try. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you subscribe, if you can't watch the Evening Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. Probably see you guys next week. Take it easy.